Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Natchang Rinpoche, Chapter 41, Part 2. We spent the afternoon listening to strange accounts of Nepalese mafia activity in Yanglisha. Rinpoche and Joma Sampel had left Yanglisha because of it. It was no longer a reliable place to remain. Kandu Tenzin had been assaulted and several of the old Nakpas and Nakmas of Sogyal Gepojong had been robbed. The next day, Rinpoche and Joma Sampel decided to take us all out for a meal at a small restaurant called the Yak. It was run by the daughter of Kandu Tenzin. The restaurant, however, wasn't really quite large enough for our group. So Rinpoche took charge of the situation and we moved out into the area of wasteland behind the restaurant. He arranged for blankets to be assembled and carried and these were duly laid down on the ground where the picnic was then prepared. The site brought to mind a subtle blend of Apocalypse Now and Desolation Row. Right now, I can't read too good. Don't send me no more letters, no. Not unless you mail them from Desolation Row. There were piles of burning rubbish. It smouldered like a recently bombed area of a town, emitting a thick yellow-grey smoke. Over in the upper reaches of the area, some grubby-looking fellows were butchering a buffalo. Dogs were fighting close by over the bones that were being thrown in their direction. The dogs, one with a missing eye, emitted fiendish howls and snarls. A grizzled old man over in another corner was desultorily chipping concrete from old bricks. Next to him was a huge pile of unspecified detritus, where a few lepers were sleeping in the sun. The area also served as a shortcut from one street to another, so occasionally groups of people would walk right through the middle of our group. They were polite in as much as they avoided treading on our blankets, but not polite enough to walk round us. Flies settled on everyone and everything, but none landed on Rimpshe or Joma Sampel. We sat drank tea and ate a fine meal together, as if the situation were entirely normal. Sure, we always banquet in some suburb of hell. Shazer wrote of that event for our Sangha news. I was sitting amongst chaos. My senses were being assaulted by noise, smells, sights and textures. My mind could not keep up with the concepts that were flooding in. I found myself in a charnel ground, as Nakchang Rinpoche and Kandud Hn speak of it. There was no possibility of controlling the situation. All that could be done was to relax into the kill core of Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche and Joma Sampal Dechen. Somehow Rinpoche and Joma Sampal transformed this place simply by their presence. There was a sense of immense dignity in their bearing and that in turn infused the picnic party with dignity. It brought to mind the teachings I'd received and given on the nature of the charnel ground.
This was the charnel ground. There were no corpses, as are spoken of in the texts, but the interwoven chaos and order were a brilliant reflection of the key that the charnel ground offers in terms of recognising the non-dual state. On this occasion, we presented Rimshe and Jomo Sampel with a terbum. Rimshe was delighted. This is rare now to make like this. Everyone makes these from metal, but earth is the correct element for the terbum. Rimshe held the terbum on his head for a moment. This caused a ripple in the group and Trurig asked whether Rinpoche could authenticate his Purba. Suddenly, there were more Purbas than you could shake a stick at. Rinpoche took them all and rolled them in his hands one by one. It was moving to observe him take them one at a time, rather than dealing with them as a job lot, in order that everyone felt their Purba had his individual attention. It's highly unusual for a Lama to take so much care on behalf of people so recently encountered, even though they were disciples of ours. Rimshe and Jomasampal's generosity pretty much moved everyone to the brink of tears. Whilst circumambulating the Churton, which is the heart of Boda, we went to a small shop which we have all frequented for years. We nicknamed the place the Temple of Doom, with reference to the effect the place tends to have on the bank account. The proprietor is friendly and knows us well. He understands that we are not collectors and that we only buy items for our own practice. We have no interest in antiques for their own sake, but there are many things that are no longer made or not made particularly well so it's valuable to have examples that can be copied by local metal workers. One such item was an ancient sword of the kind that Lingesa would have carried, and we felt that we should purchase it and present it to Barcha. He'd gone to Nepal in, in advance of our party and worked hard to make our visit optimal, and it seemed a good time to introduce him to the Lingesa terma of Rangrig Togden. Barcher had been a Penchak Silat exponent before he became a student of ours, and he was one of two ordained disciples whom we'd selected to teach the Gartak martial art of Rangrig Togden. The sword was purchased and presented to Barcher. His first wish was to show it to Rimshe, and this more than confirmed our choice of Barcher. As soon as Rimshe saw the sword, he called for a costume to be brought out. It was his own Lingesa costume, which he wore when he performed the Garcham of Lingesa. It comprised the hat and robes. Lama Sonam assisted Barcher in dressing, after which Barcher performed a swirl, as if he already knew the dance. In 2005, we made another pilgrimage to Boulder to visit Rimshe and Joma Sampaldechen with our students. This time, we brought Robert and Rachel. Rimshe named Robert Dudledorje, demon-slaying thunderbolt, 
He named Rachel Kunzang Sudron, entirely complete lamp of the lake. Rimshe and Jomasampa were delighted to see our children and hauled the entire family up onto his throne for a photograph. Rimshe gave Dudledorje a hat and shawl, which he was immensely happy to receive. It was curious that he could sit for hours, hardly understanding a word that was spoken, but was never bored or fidgety. We were proud of him. We went every day with a different selection of students in order that they'd all have a chance to meet Rinpoche and Joma Sampel. On each occasion, Rinpoche regaled us with stories and answered questions our students put to him. Students asked if we would not like time alone with Rinpoche and Joma Sampel, but we felt quite happy watching the scene. We'd had our time and this was a precious opportunity for them. Kanrodechen and I were content to sit and listen, or sit in silence. Mainly we were all there simply to spend time with Rinpoche and Joma Sampel. Nothing more was required of the situation. There are three important considerations in terms of relating to one's Lama. Presence display, personality display and life circumstances display. These qualities are informal and have to be understood non-conceptually. These three modes represent the most powerful and most subtle form of transmission. We'd explained this in depth to our students and so they knew how to deport themselves. We simply imbibed the ambience of Padmasambhava and Yeshit Sogyal. There was no sense of being gauzy or gaga, no blissed out rapture. The situation was quite ordinary in many ways. We were all able to be natural in not when wanting anything to be other than it was. Then we'd eat momos. Rinpoche laughed. Yeah, these days I do not teach or give empowerments anymore. I am too old. Maybe to some people I give something, but not when they are greedy tomyors. Several people have come here asking for teachings. I tell them I do not teach anymore, but that if they want to sit and drink with me, they are welcome. I invite them to do this, but then they go away because they are Tomyors. This is what I like about your students. They ask for nothing. They are happy to come here and sit with me and Sampaldechen. Then I give all kind of teachings, as you know. Your students are not avaricious like many who come here now. These kinds of people care nothing about having a relationship with us. They just want to take something that will make them feel important later. When they can say, I got this big secret teaching from Kunzangdorje. In reality, even if I taught these Tomyors something, they would get nothing because they do not understand transmission. They cannot receive transmission because their minds are so full of greed and covetous grasping. 
I think your students want relationship and so transmission comes naturally. They come here with you happy for whatever happens. This shows a good mind, so you have taught your students well. They are becoming like you and Kandradachan, so Sampel and I are very happy to see this. On the final day, Joma Sampel presented Kandradachan with a full-sized Katvanga, a tantric trident of marvellous manufacture. Only five had been made. Of these, one was presented to Dungzi Trinli Norba Rinpoche, one to Kyabche Chatra Rinpoche, and one to Rinpoche and Joma Sampel. The gift was at once a great honour and a fantastic act of generosity, as it couldn't be replaced. I was delighted that it had been presented to Kandradechen by Joma Sampel as it was given as a token of their complete acceptance of her as my sangyum and teaching partner. I'd had more than I could ever need or desire from my time with Rinpoche, so I could be overjoyed for her. Once this presentation was over, however, Rinpoche presented me with his Jarnak costume and hat. He first wore it himself and performed the seated form of the Jarnak Garcham. Then he asked Lama Tsering to attire me in the outfit in order that I should perform it for the assembly. It was a remarkable day amongst many remarkable days over a period of 15 years. Parties of our students went to see Rinpoche and Joma Sampel annually in the winter months. Barcher went every year at Rinpoche's request. It was wonderful to see one of our close disciples have such an extremely close relationship with Rinpoche and Joma Sampel and to see him adopted as son. I could see certainly similarities between Barcher and myself. We're both quite simple people and both quite emotional in terms of our loyalty to friends and to our lamas. We're both keen on honour and neither of us is easy to subdue. An officious monk, replete with Rolex wristwatch, accosted Barcher in the Double Dorje restaurant in Boda, asking him, what is your name and what vows are you taking that you are this white shamtab wearing? My name's Barcha Dorje, he replied. What's your name? The monk, bristling with hubris, answered, In the Gompa they call me Kempo Rinpoche. Good for you, replied Barcha. I won't ask about your vows, but I've nothing to hide. I've taken the 14 root vows and the branch vows which are specific to my lineage. These, as you will know, are secret, but one applies to my white shamtab. I also wear a white shamtab because it's the direct instruction of my lamas and of their lamas, Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche and Joma Sampal Dechen. Is there anything else you want to know? No, there wasn't, and that concluded the interrogation. Kempo such-and-such such decided he had nothing further to ask 
and waddled off with pronounced indignation to inflate his vanity elsewhere. He'd expected Barcher to be intimidated by his monastic authority and his assumed title. He'd been entirely thrown by the fact that Barcher wasn't impressed. He answered the Kempo's rudeness without ire, but also without fear. He'd spoken plainly and in perfect accordance with Vajrayana. Barcha has had several such discussions in and around Kathmandu. The discussions always seem to take this form, and the discussions are always ended when Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche is mentioned. It's sad to see that prejudice against the Gurkha Changlode remains unabated, and that it has increased noticeably since the passing of Dujum Rinpoche. We hope that things will change when the two incarnations of Dujum Rinpoche rise to a point where they have the influence of their predecessor. The antagonism doesn't originate in monks per se, but in a certain sector of the monastic hierarchy, which isn't exactly easy to identify. The antagonists are careful not to identify themselves too precisely, and nothing is ever presented in documentary form. It is thus difficult to address the nature of the intolerance and prejudicial behaviour that we occasionally witness. There are many excellent monks and nuns who have no axe to grind and who have no sense of the Gurkha Changlo day as being unwelcome. The Nyingma nuns in particular always seem delighted to see our nakmas, especially as some of our nakmas are rather tall and ample. We receive feedback on how we are perceived in Boulder and it has been interesting to observe the shift there. Lama Sonam told Barcha that we were viewed with some suspicion at first as possibly crazy Westerners, but that our reputation has grown over the years. We are now seen as kind and courteous people who take their practice seriously. Some questions had been asked of Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche and he had let people know that we met with his entire approval. It's sad, in a way, that we had to be checked in this way, but there have been a few too many mystical mashuganas of psychopathic and psychopathic pietistic posers who've donned robes to make themselves look special. It's the same with monastic robes. We saw a group of Rolex-wristed Tibetan monks in the Hyatt Hotel one evening when we went to pay a call on someone who'd taken a room there. They were business monks, and I was surprised that they had no sense of the impression they gave. Why would one renunciate, let alone five, wish to support a Rolex, to sport a Rolex? It was almost like the badge of their calling. It was curious to be sneered at by such people, but I suppose I was making my own judgments. They could have been thoroughly decent fellows. Good luck to them, I say. Bakhja and Shadrol led several pilgrimages to Boda 
and remained there for several months as parties of our students came and went. Rinpoche and Joma Sampel got to see Nordzin and Erdzin, Rigzin, Barcher and Shadra all with their own students. They were able to see their great-grandchildren in terms of the Gurkha Changlo day, and Rinpoche said, You have kept your promise to Dujam Rinpoche and to me, and now everything is accomplished. There is no need to provide detail of every pilgrimage because they were similar in most respects. Unless one had been there on those pilgrimages, a detailed account would entail a great deal of repetition. To those who have met Rinpoche and Joma Sampal, these accounts would be fascinating in themselves, but they are too personal and specialised to convey beyond what is related here. There are many stories to tell, whimsical, humorous, hilarious, mysterious, poignant and conventionally inexplicable. Candidate Chen and I are likely to tell them, interwoven with what we teach. Each story has its time and place and each serves a purpose that arises in the moment. <laughs>